0: Welcome to episode 108 of the 1099 for the week of September 4th, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renaudin, and with me today is a research analyst at Wedwish Securities, the host of The Pactor Factor, and a returning guest, Michael Pactor. Thanks so much for doing this. How are you doing today? Always a pleasure, and I'm doing quite well. Thank you. These are always great for me. One, because you have so much insight, and I've been watching you since like game trailer days and all the stuff like that. And secondly, because these podcasts light up NeoGAF and n4g like no other podcasts i do you you get a reaction that i think is hilarious every single time but i uh, always appreciate you taking the time because we have a lot of, we have a lot to talk about uh, last time you were on we didn't know the xbox 1x had a name like we were it was still scorpio at that time the switch hadn't come out so let's start here has the nintendo switch Surprised you at all with the response the both critically and commercially, I mean, I know you said in the past it was either on the Pactor Factor or when you were sitting down with Jeff Keeley during e three that it's more of a souped up handheld than a home console to you, and I think you mean that in a positive way, but do you see it sustaining the level of success that it's reached so far i do and and I have to say, I was
1: skeptical when they first revealed you know the the name and they showed the little video. Um, It looked stupid to me, but it's much, much better than I expected. Um, It feels good. You know, I actually like playing on it. Uh, You know, I think something that we've all kind of learned from probably watching video content is that we're comfortable with the smaller screen if we can, you know, adjust the distance from our from our eyes so that the screen size really doesn't make much difference. And I think that's really the case with the Switch. You know, when I say it's more of a handheld, I, I truly mean more than half of the people who play or more than half of the sessions played on Switch are probably played with the device as a handheld. I think that number is probably more than 75%. I certainly don't mean 100%. Um, but I do think of that as a good thing. I think that, you know, if you look at historical unit sales for hardware, um, the best selling consoles of all time have been handhelds and you know led by the DS. And I, I think that Switch could absolutely, you know, sell more units than the Xbox One or the PS four by a lot. Um, but you know, I don't know how long the success will last because we really haven't seen when supply catches up with demand once we know that that anybody can get one we'll be able to accurately assess demand and we really can't do that yet my bias is at 300 bucks it's a little too expensive for a handheld and at 150 it would sell you know ds like numbers so let's give this a, a year let's see if the price <coughs> excuse me if the price comes down in the next year, and let's see once supply and demand catch up what happens um my My last comment here is I actually think that you'll probably get a you know a switch uh made that that's smaller, possibly with the joy cons built in as a replacement for the three d s so maybe they'll call it a switch mini. But it'll have the same guts as the as the current switch, and it'll look a lot more like a, a handheld, uh, true handheld with you know controllers built in on the sides. Yet will play all the same high
0: quality games. So that that's probably where they're headed, and I think that that's actually pretty smart. Yeah, I think the smart move would be to treat this as both the handheld and the console so you can consolidate the software in a way where you're not doing, okay, this game's 3DS, this game's on Switch. You can do something that's just for everyone. But you do mention that price the, the discount that could be coming in the future what do you what number do you think they could hit while still turning a profit because we all know nintendo always wants to make a profit with their hardware do you think they could go as low as 200 or would they be just gouging too much money at that point
1: you know I, I i think the hard part for me is i you know i'm not an electrical engineer and i don't know how to you know price components but the microprocessor and graphics card in the device you know if it weren't miniaturized probably only costs about $25 combined. Um, the screen itself is actually pretty inexpensive as well. Um, you know, so really the components are pretty cheap. And my bias is, you know, in a year or two, Nintendo will be able to make the, the whole thing for well under 200 bucks, probably for $150, which means they can bring the price down if they choose to. Again, I'm guessing, you know, and I'm happy if... Uh, there's a NeoGAF thread where all the electrical <laughs> engineers get on and say he doesn't know what he's talking about, um, you know, because I don't. And, you know, but I think that that's really the key is if they can make something cheap enough. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I I think Nintendo wants to make a lot of money. I don't blame them for charging, you know, more than it costs them to make it. And, frankly, I think it, as long as they're selling out, there's no real Uh, compulsion on their side to drop the price. So let's see what happens when supply exceeds demand, and then we'll see what happens to pricing.
0: Well, let's say that by the holiday 2018, we have that new model of a Switch, the smaller version Joy-Con's built in, and it's down to $200. Could that which would, of course, lead to higher sales, would that be something that might spur third parties to actually start making games for Nintendo? Or has that ship just sailed at this point?
1: No, I actually think they will. Um, I think that, you know, what you're seeing right now uh, from the Western third parties is, you know, they're making versions for the Switch on games that they already make uh, for PS3 and Xbox 360. So, you know, the sports games are still supporting uh, the last generation consoles. If you get an install base that exceeds, you know, 20 million, I think that you'll probably then start seeing frontline games that are, you know, they have to do a bottom-up build. That's the problem. It's hard to dumb down a PS4 Xbox One game, and especially if those games have 4K assets in them, you know, which, which clearly is going to happen with the Xbox One X. So, you know, the incremental cost to, to make kind of a bottom-up game could be as much as 10 million bucks and so I don't think you're going to see a lot of games made by third parties for the Switch. And You know, again, we had that disaster with the Wii where EA did their entire sports lineup, and I forgot what they called it, but it was like big head, you know, football. Remember all oh, the players? Yeah. Remember little bodies and big heads? Yeah, those were terrible. Yeah, and, and and it was, you know, that was back in the day when Peter Moore was running EA Sports, and I remember Peter getting up and saying how brilliant they were going to be, but the the implication was that the only people who owned, Switch, owned uh, Wii were seven-year-olds, and they were just too stupid to play, you know, real sports sims. So we have to give them kind of a bobblehead, stupid little game. Uh, you know, that those days are over. I think, you know, people who own the Switch and who play, you know, Nintendo first-party games want super high-quality games. And so, you know, my guess is that you'll get support, but it will be just major franchises. You know, it'll be games that are very sophisticated, Um, maybe Anthem or Destiny. I mean, games like that as opposed to Star Wars, as opposed to everything, you know. And, and I also think yeah. the problem is multiplayer, you know, Nintendo still is pretty far behind in building out a multiplayer network and making it easy, you know, to to matchmake and and find friends and they just gotta get a lot better at that. Um, and so,
0: you know, it's hard to see games like Call of Duty showing up on Switch, but maybe. Uh, and you also, this might be a one time case. You look at Rabbids and Mario Kingdom Battle, which just came out and critically is doing way better than maybe anyone expected. And I'm guessing sales wise, because people are so hungry for new software on the Switch, that should do well. Do you think with Nintendo being more open about putting their IP on phones and maybe, in the case of Rabbids, sharing their IP with a different developer or publisher. Do you think that could be a possibility for third parties where they maybe they attach themselves to a character or, or some Nintendo staple and then work, work it that way?
1: Well, the IP sharing is so unusual for Nintendo that it really jumps out. I mean, it, it's like uh, that was, to me, the announcement of E3. And, you know, and I, I mean, it it says a lot about Ubisoft's relationship with Nintendo. But yes, I think that if Nintendo were to encourage, you know, other games to have uh, Nintendo, you know, IP in them, I think you'd get a lot. Imagine Skylanders with Nintendo characters, which is totally doable. Um, You know, I think that you could, I mean, I actually think even games like Street Fighter, you know, Street Fighter meets uh, Super Smash Brothers would be fun. Um, so, yes, I do think you're going to get something. I mean, Lego Lego Mario World would be fun. I mean, there's oh, yeah. plenty of stuff you can do. Um, you know, what we won't get, unfortunately, is God of War with playable, you know, Mario taking on Kratos <laughs> or something. And we won't get Minecraft in Mario, which I think would be really great as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of, you know, potential for the Nintendo IP in the hands of really good, uh, you know, creative other people. And, you know, obviously it's important to make sure that there's not a Grand Theft Auto Mario edition or Red Dead Redemption Mario edition where there are, you know, uh, Princess Peach is a hooker or something that yeah. probably wouldn't, wouldn't play well. But I, you know, I, I actually truly do think that Nintendo showed how enlightened they are by licensing the, the Mario characters to uh, to Ubisoft for Rabbids. And, yes, I agree. I mean, you know, it's funny. I had investors asking me the other day, is an 85 Metacritic score good enough? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Uh, you know, other than Zelda or Mario titles, you know, that anything like Yoshi or Pokemon or... or uh, Uh, Kirby, all those games are in the 80s, you know, so 80s are great. And uh, yes, I mean, that, that is actually significantly higher than I expected the score to be. So yes, I, I think that game is, uh, is going to do extremely well. And I think that its success will beget other collaborations by Nintendo and third parties.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I don't know, investors, are investors that, invested in metacritic scores cuz like you said anything in the 80s is good these days unless you're a numbered uncharted game like you said a zelda and the mario you're not hitting you know low to mid 90s is that something they really look at
1: they do uh,
0: you know it's funny it's it's not that investors are so
1: savvy it's that notwithstanding how much neogaff loves to bitch about how how badly i suck most <laughs> most of my competitors suck more so, you know, you'll get some idiot newbie who's covering Ubisoft who will say, we're very disappointed in the 85 review score for rabbits. I mean, that that just happens. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I guess this is fortunate, but um unfortunately for investors, there's about 30 different analysts who cover the video game stocks, and about 15 of them have been doing so for less than two years. So you know, to to quote a a very famous line from uh, from Game of Thrones, they know nothing.
0: You know, it's
1: like <laughs> what what are you gonna do? I mean, it's like I guess it's good for me. Um, so Neo Geff thinks I know nothing. They should start tracking some of my wow. idiot competitors.
0: <laughs> and you you're the one who's still doing it, so you must be doing something right. Uh, way back in the day, uh, when you were doing a lot of videos for game trailers, I remember you did something about where the money goes when someone sells a $60 release. And it was something I really appreciated because it's one of those questions everyone has where it's like, how much does the publisher get? How much does the developer get? How much does a GameStop get? And that was a super useful video. Uh, Can you explain to me and everyone listening why the hell Nintendo would be making getting the SNES Classic almost impossible? Is there... An actual business reason you can put together why people need to be up at three a.m. in order to pre-order something, and then within a minute pre-orders are already gone. Because I understand scarcity, but isn't this just leaving a massive amount of money on the table?
1: Uh, yep, absolutely. I mean, it, a, a Super NES, uh, classic probably costs literally ten bucks to make, maybe six. I mean, the the chipset inside is just like a little ROM chip. It's it's so cheap that, you know, I, I, I'd i wager that packaging and shipping costs more than the box, I mean, than the actual device. Um, and they're selling it for 80 bucks, which, you know, they could sell it with a 50% retail margin. You know, they could sell it for 40 wholesale and still be making a ton. Um, I don't think that Nintendo management is very enlightened. About these classics, um, but it's entirely possible that they're going to do this the way that Disney does—you know, DVD releases of Sleeping Beauty or Snow White, where they come out every seven to ten years in a limited edition, and then they bring them out again and then again. So maybe Nintendo is doing it to see what happens, you know, and sell their—I think there was uh, 2.3 million NESs. NES classic sold and it, you know maybe the Super NES classic is 5 million and then maybe in a few years they'll re-release both of them with all new games and make 10 million each and then you know seven or eight years later make 20 million each I don't know um I agree with you though I think they could sell 20 30 million of these things at 80 bucks because there's so many of us who are nostalgic for the games you know I, I the device itself is irrelevant to me I actually just like playing the games. And, you know, and since most of the software is Nintendo first party, um, that has zero cost to them. You know, so there are a few third party games on there. So they're paying a a small royalty for some of those games. But uh, I I honestly think that they're just kind of driving buzz. They're getting you and me to talk about it, you know, and and we wouldn't be talking about it if everybody who wanted one could get one. We're talking about it because they're 200 bucks on eBay.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's the case. I think it's like the degree of the scarcity that just confuses me where instead of 5 million, like if it was still 10, people would still struggle to get it. Wouldn't that be enough? I know even uh, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, which is not a video game podcast in any capacity, but he was talking about when the NES Classic was coming out how he couldn't get one and how angry he was. So it's you're right, the nostalgia is there for people beyond our bubble to be interested in this thing. And I feel like it's funny. We start this podcast talking about an overpowered handheld and a classic 16 bit console more than the Xbox one. And like, there's a reason I lead with that stuff because that's where the interest is right now. And you look at the Xbox one, which is being touted as the most powerful thing around, but that's not, that's not what's getting in the headlines outside of, you know, the games community Uh, for you. I don't think the buzz is really really there right now. So what do you think Microsoft can actually do with the Xbox One X, this powerful console at the end of the year, to convince people they need this thing? Has anything happened at E3 or after E3 that convinced you that this thing could sell more than the, the you know Super NES Classic? Uh, you should read my Twitter feed today. Um,
1: I've been kind of going at it today and this past few days. Um, I've been going at it with a bunch of uh, Xbox fanboys. Uh, I actually, about a week ago, used the term X-Bot, and I had a bunch of them say, oh, my God, oh, you're so offensive. I, I mean, I haven't looked at NeoGAF in months, but there's probably a NeoGAF thread on that as well. Um, you know, and I, like, I, I, I say X-Bot, meaning a dedicated fan in the Urban Dictionary sense of the term. Yeah. Um, which is just the fanatical devotion to Microsoft. That's not a bad thing. I mean, that's just how people are. Um, in any case, uh, they seem convinced this thing's going to sell gajillions of units, you know, millions and millions and millions of units. Um, my bias is at 500 bucks, it's going to sell a million, you know, in November and December globally. And 800,000 of those are going to be to current Xbox One owners who you know either will have a second box or will trade in their box to the extent they can at GameStop. Um, so I don't think this thing is very much incremental to overall Xbox sales. I mean Microsoft will count it as a sale of course. Um, but I just don't get why a new consumer who doesn't have a console would buy an Xbox One X in instead of an Xbox One S. Um, it, the Xbox One S is half the price. The answer, quick answer to that question is, well, if you have a 4K TV, of course. All right, so if you're one of the 5 or 10% of U.S. households and half that number, you know, half that percentage of European households who have a 4K TV, sure, maybe you'll consider it, but, you know, we're just not there yet on 4K, and so it's there's really just no compelling reason to own one. Um, the reason people own them is the same reason I drive a Porsche. You know, I do because I can afford it, and because there's something you know that's just cool and you know, braggy about it. I'm humble brag, right? Yep. Um, you know, there's something about it that I—it's a Porsche, and it's funny because I have a really good friend who has a BMW uh, M3, so three series M, you know, M class is the souped-up, super fast engine, and his specs are really about the same as my my Carrera S. You know, the, it's just about as fast. I mean, everything about it. And it costs about half as much. And so, you know, I'm a nut for driving a Porsche. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, the truth is, he's right. I am a nut. And it's just, I like Porsche. I don't know why. Um, so I get why someone who is self-indulgent and has a lot of money and loves bright, shiny objects is going to buy an Xbox One X. Um, but that's not everybody. I mean, everybody likes bright, shiny objects, and many gamers are self-indulgent, but not all of them have money. So I personally think $500 is, is just a huge impediment, and because there is a close substitute with the Xbox One S generally priced at $249, I mean, if that, that's the discounted price, but they discount a lot, um, and I think certainly it will be $249 holiday. I just don't see this thing selling that well, but
0: I could be wrong. You know, we'll see. I keep coming back to you can get a PlayStation 4 and Xbox One S together for the same price as the X. Uh, And I think that's the key right there is why, unless there's the software to back it up, which right now you can't go so far ahead graphically than the PS4 because then third parties can't. They don't want to be developing two entirely different games. Like Right now it just doesn't make too much sense in in, in my mind in that way. I, I feel like a lot of these console war narratives... They they often come down to what happens early on. You look at the Xbox 360, it was out earlier, uh, it had great exclusives right away, and then by the time the PS3 came out, the Xbox 360 was so much cheaper that it just, it won and kept selling in that way. And same thing with the PS4, it had the stronger narrative early on, cheaper, it wasn't talked about with that bad narrative of, you know, online only. Um, So right now, at this point, in this console generation, because it's not done yet, even though PS4 is way ahead let's say third-party games do start looking way better on Xbox One X and console exclusives almost look like a generational leap. Is that enough? Can Microsoft actually close the current gap, or do you think people, the majority of the audience, just doesn't care enough about power? Close the gap, no chance.
1: Narrow the gap, maybe. So, um, you know, will they, instead of being outsold two to one, will that drop? to, you know, one and a half to one, or, or even all the way down to parity one-to-one? Um, sure, I think that they can. Uh, the, the driving factor there is price. And because price includes the cost of a new monitor, you know, a new TV, um, it's, be, they'll be helped when 4K TVs become kind of the standard. Uh, I think that, you know, by year end, we'll be at 25% U.S. penetration of 4K and by year-end the next year, 50, and by year-end the next year, 75, you know, of of TV households. So, yes, I mean, once you have a 4K TV and it's not an incremental purchase in order to to buy an Xbox One X, then I think people will start looking at the Xbox One X quite favorably. And remember, I'm a wealthy guy. I've bought two televisions in the last two years, a 65 and a 55-inch Samsung, both 1080p. And the reason that I didn't buy 4K is not because I couldn't afford the extra, you know, two to five hundred bucks. It's because I did not understand why I needed to buy one. There's no broadcast in 4K. Netflix over the top originals are in 4K. So that's great. But to be honest with you, I have uh, a 5G fiber Internet connection at home. And I watched Ozark last night, and it didn't slow and buffer, but it was fuzzy the entire time. you know so I you know I, I'm really skeptical that if I did have a 4K monitor, I would even get a 4K feed from Netflix. So we are years away from actually needing 4K. Microsoft is is probably on the forefront of giving us 4K content, and so once you have the monitor, sure, once you have the monitor, you want content. I get why you'll buy an Xbox One X. But, you know, that's just a small percentage of households right now. In two or three years, when we're north of 50% of households, the thing will sell a lot better and highly likely the price will be a lot lower.
0: Do you think for the end of 2017 and throughout 2018, maybe one in five Xbox One sold will be an X? Do you think that'll be even higher or lower? What's kind of the, the gauge for that?
1: I mean, they sell about $10 million a year. And you know, it might be 11, but it's some somewhere in there. And one in five means more than two million Xbox One X's. Um, I you know, I, I'm saying a million this holiday, and that's because I think the fanboys will line up. You know, again, I, I'm reluctant yeah. for only for the Neo Gaff Microsoft fanboys or Xbox. Um, but you know, 20% next year that's a lot. I mean, I, I'd say. That's probably a stretch realistic number, two million. Now remember, um, you will get a lot of people trading in their Xboxes, Xbox Ones, to get an Xbox One X, and so it's entirely possible that you get a twenty-five or thirty percent attach rate, and that overall Xbox sales grow, you know, to thirteen or fourteen million, Um, but net sales really aren't going to be that much better. And again, Microsoft will brag about it. They'll, You know, I think the way to monitor this is look how many used Xbox Ones are available at uh, GameStop. And the best gauge for that is watch the price of a used Xbox One that they're willing to pay you on a trade-in. If that drops below 100 bucks, then they're getting too many of them. You know, and that, GameStop's great because uh, they dynamically adjust what they're willing to pay for something based on the number of units that get traded in. So back in the days of... Uh, Rock Band and Guitar Hero, um, they used to give you like 20 bucks for the trade-in, including the entire Rock Band set because they were getting too many. And then they just stopped buying them all together. They would give you zero.
0: The crazy part too is if it does get around that number where you're getting 150 or 100 for trade in an Xbox One, that means you're still paying... You're paying your entire Xbox plus 350 to $400 just to get an X. Again, like I keep going back to, I don't, unless I'm missing something about like a sudden exclusive or we suddenly see how good these games look, I don't see the value there. Uh, and whenever we speak of console wars or people arguing about this online, it's always the exclusives that come up, you know, which, which console has the better first party games. But you look at the end of this year, they're just... Aren't that many there? There's Crackdown just got pushed out of the end of the year calendar. I mean, Sony has Knack 2, which I don't think is going to be this amazing sales success. Uh, like Uncharted just came out, so that was the end of the summer. Um, most of the heavy hitters are early 2018 or mid 2018 with all the different Sony games coming out and Xbox games. So, in your mind, from what you've seen, are exclusives really that important at this stage of the console lifecycle to convince someone to go one way or the other? Since people have already seemingly picked their console of choice, are exclusives as important as third-party games are right now?
1: Um, I, you know, I think if you don't own a console, they matter, and if you're going to buy one, then then that's the differentiation. I mean, you decide if you want to play, um, you know, Uncharted more than you want to play Halo, but you know, I think that. Where exclusives actually make a whole lot of sense is for the super hardcore gamer who wants to play everything. And so he will buy both a PlayStation and an Xbox. And, you know, that's where I think it gets kind of interesting. I mean, that's where wealthy PS4 gamers who want to play everything might consider an Xbox One X. And But again, it's so much easier just to buy the Xbox One S particularly if that thing drops below 200 bucks and it probably will in the next year. So you know I think that you're gonna see a lot of two console households that that's really aided by um, by first party exclusives
0: Do you think anyone's really making the choice between, a Switch and an Xbox One or a Switch and a PS4? Or do you think, like you said, there's a lot of two console households. Is it really, am I going to get a PS4 and Xbox One and the Switch is an entirely different category? It's a, its own thing similar to back in the day with the Wii where it was almost a secondary console versus one of the main two choices.
1: Yeah, the latter. I think exactly what you said. Um, I think that there are Nintendo fanboys who uh, will only buy Nintendo. And so that the Switch isn't an alternative to the other two. And then there are, you know, just hardcore gamers who want to play great content. And if they want to play great, you know, high quality multiplayer A content, they're buying an Xbox One or a, a PS4. And if they also want to play Nintendo super high quality content, they're going to buy a Switch as well. So I think the Switch, I think of the Switch as a supplement, not... An alternative um, yep. and except for guys
0: who only want Nintendo and don't care about anything else. Uh, speaking of exclusives, what do you currently think is the most important Microsoft exclusive? Uh, Cause I don't feel like back in the day, a halo release was an event. It was you're skipping school the next day. It's a lineup at a GameStop, and same with gears of war. And the last two that came out were good, but they didn't have that level of buzz, that fervor around them. I mean, there isn't, It's just not really right there. And even Call of Duty, which for the longest time felt like a a Microsoft. It was an Xbox staple just because of the popularity of Xbox Live. It's still popular, of course, but it isn't this unstoppable force. I mean, could Battlegrounds be the thing that really puts Xbox over the top as this, for at least a while, this timed console exclusive? Do you see anything else maybe being this main exclusive for them moving forward with the Xbox One X coming out soon?
1: You know, I, I, I... I'll say that it, what you read lately about battlegrounds um lately as in the last week or so, uh, Brendan Green is now not committing that it's coming out on p s four So oh, wow. initially he didn't say it's not, but he's just like kind of avoiding the question. It was definitely a timed exclusive one announced, but I think that you know the the build up in the p c installed base is so great. You know I understand there are eight million players now, um and I think interest on the Xbox is so great. I really expect Microsoft to either sign a long term exclusive or to buy the company um and I don't know if it's for sale, so I you know certainly don't want to start that rumor, but I expect them to somehow lock this up and Microsoft is pretty keenly interested in cross platform play between Windows ten and and Xbox. Um, I'm not sure that that will be fair, you know, because as as NeoGaf, uh, all of my both of my NeoGaf fans will point out, um, the, the, you know, a guy playing with a mouse and keyboard is is obviously much quicker and more accurate than a guy playing with an Xbox controller. But I I think there's all sorts of things you can do to encourage cross-platform play, like say each team has to have two people from you know, playing on Xbox and three people playing on PC or vice versa. You, know, you can do things like that where the, the match play is actually pretty fair. And so I think it's a great opportunity for Microsoft. It is a unique game. I mean, I you can say H1Z ones like this, but it's a pretty clever, well-constructed game with a rabid fan base that is growing. So I think it's a system seller. I actually do. And um, I personally suck with a mouse and a keyboard my hand drifts on the keyboard and i just <laughs> I, it just does i i think i get so excited i move my hand
0: i can't I'll help the it. same way
1: yeah and I, I and i know they make the custom keyboards where you know where you can basically have all the buttons in that wrap your hand around it but i, I just i just can't i'm fine with the mouse i just suck with a keyboard um but you know i'm looking forward to playing on xbox because i'm okay with a controller and you know the the best I've ever done in on the PC in PUBG is seventy people remaining. You know I've I've literally lasted thirty thirty deaths once, <laughs> um, and I the most kills I've ever had is two. You know so I mean the idea like I get psyched if I kill anybody, um, but you know I like I think it'll be fun. I mean I, I I and I wish you know what I'm looking forward to is matchmaking where they put people who who suck like me. All on the same island, so at least I have a chance <laughs> um, you know, but they can do that. see, that's something yeah. Xbox can do. They can say, "Oh, Pactor, your gamer score is like ten. you know we can we can put you up with a bunch of other newbies who just got a console this week as opposed to putting you in there with everybody who's got eighty thousand you know points um but you know, so I think yeah, I think that's actually a big deal. I think that that is a system seller. I think that's gonna get people totally psyched and you know look for other you know similar games like H1Z1 to end up being you know those kinds of exclusive as well i think that there i think you're going to get a whole new generation of in, indie developers who are going after that market that deathmatch is fun
0: people yeah. like it yeah and it's it's so strange i remember the e3 announcement for battlegrounds on xbox and at the time i hadn't really played much battlegrounds so when i heard that i'm like are people really going to be as excited about this game at the end of the year as they were at this point and now i'm i'm obsessed with it like just every if i ever get a chicken dinner it's the greatest thing and there's you know eight million players and like you said that install base just keeps going up up and up it it seems like it could be i mean it's already the next big thing but i don't know where the ceiling is right now even if microsoft does let's say agree to a long-term partnership with them to keep it on xbox and give them a big you know sack of money is that more money than you think they would get if it just went to PS4? Because with that install base of the PlayStation 4, similar, we were talking about Nintendo leaving money on the table, would, I think it's Bluehole as the developer, would they be leaving money on the table even if they did accept a lot from Microsoft because they could just do so much more if they threw it on PlayStation 4?
1: Just remember that Minecraft sold to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. Sure. So uh, there's always an amount of money that a se- a willing seller will take. And who cares if they leave money on the table? If the if the number starts with a B, you know, did, I mean, well, did Instagram leave money on the table when they sold to uh, Facebook for a billion dollars and they only had thirty million users? Well, the answer is they have seven hundred million users now, so they yeah. clearly left some money on the table. But I'm I'm pretty sure that those guys who sold for a billion dollars, Kevin uh, Seistrum is the is the head guy. I'm pretty sure they're happy. Like they're yeah, content. they might be okay with that money. Yeah, so you know, I don't know the answer. I mean, you know, Microsoft uh, is probably willing to pay a lot. Um, and as I said, the ex- exclusivity—they have eight million on PC. You know, so if you were just doing a financial model, you'd guess four million each on Xbox One and PS4. So it would wouldn't take that much. You know, compensate them a hundred million dollars, and, and they're that's fine. But my guess is Microsoft will want them to create all sorts of exclusive environments and change the you know, change the landscape and constantly update the game and add weapons and add vehicles and just do cool stuff. Um, you know, and then again, imagine the uh the monetization opportunity if you can actually customize your character so that you're you know, you're you're wearing like a Joker outfit or something. I mean fun.
0: Yeah, there's absolutely like, I mean, right now, just with buying like loot boxes, people are already, there's like stuff on the auction house going for hundreds of dollars. So I don't know if it'll get that crazy on Xbox. But yeah, just like lower key stuff. If suddenly you have, you know, Master Chief's helmet or something like that, that you're spending two bucks on. Like that stuff is all over the place. And those opportunities seem almost endless. Uh, it's it's funny, you mentioned Minecraft, and now we're men- mentioning Battlegrounds. How difficult is it for you these days? to predict what's going to be the next big game because call of Duty's easy to say like that's going to do well you know battlefield one there's buzz behind that that's going to do well but stuff like battlegrounds comes out in early access and looks just like another kind of janky shooter and instead it's eight million copies and everyone's talking about like what's the next game to incorporate a mode like this is it strange for you and is it difficult for you to try to make these predictions when there are small teams coming out of nowhere in early access that are Often outselling AAA products.
1: I I uniformly suck at predicting new IP success. So my bias, and it's definitely a bias, is that anything new will not do well. So you know, I I look I I very famously in two thousand one put out an estimate for Grand Theft Auto three, which was a new IP. I mean the old the old GTA on PlayStation one was you know a stupid little. Pixelated piece of crap. Um, I think it was a top-down, you know, racing game essentially. Um, you know, you run away from the cops. There's nothing to do. So the yeah. GTA 3, I predicted would do 325,000 units. So I correctly got within you know 99 percent of the actual number because it sold 32 million. Um, so no, I I have no freaking clue on new IP. I can never figure it out. Um, I remember sitting down with Brandon Beck in LA at Riot, and he showed me League of Legends. And I said, wow, this just looks like StarCraft. Like, I don't get it. (laughs) You know, it was, I mean, it had the same feel, obviously different characters and stuff. And he's like, no, 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 Battle Arena, everybody's going to want to play this. And I'm like, wow, how are you wrong? Um, I saw, uh, Candy Crush in, in beta, and I said, it looks just like Bejeweled. You know, so, again, I'm just a dumbass. Um, So, no, (laughs) like, there's no freaking way that I I will never give new IP credit because I just, there's so much of it. You know, where I I love and respect Cliff Blazinski, and I saw the Lawbreakers beta, and I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's going to be huge. And it's good, but it's not, you know, it's not huge, huge. Um, So, you know, I tend to give guys with a proven track record a lot of credit. Uh, which means that I would have predicted, you know, gajillions of sales for all of David Jaffe's games post-God of War, and that hasn't happened. Um, and I tend to give newbies no credit, which means I would have never called Clash of Clans or, you know, or uh, got Game of War, you know, because those were relatively newbie guys, and not PUBG, and and no, I, so no, don't, no one should ever listen to my predictions on new IP because I have a system bias that says new guys are going to stay unknown.
0: Well, I mean, if you do have that bias toward proven series, do you think this year's Call of Duty going back to World War II after the success of Battlefield 1, do you think going back that way and getting away from the actual modern or even futuristic warfare will do well for it? Do you think it could kind of have a resurgence, or do you think we continue to see a downward trend for that series?
1: I think it will be the best-selling Call of Duty to date. How's that? Wow.
0: that's that's headline
1: now again who knows let's say it comes out and it gets a 72 metacritic then clearly i'm wrong if it gets an 88 or higher i actually feel like it it could be the best selling one ever um and the good news about the sledgehammer team is they're pretty competent uh they're pretty competent and this game for some reason you know who who knows but It looks special to me. It looks like they just got it right. Um, I haven't actually heard a whole lot of feedback from the beta yet. But, you know, the nice thing about those guys is that they're they're not running a beta as a marketing ploy. They're actually going to take feedback from, you know, from players and modify the game if people have problems with it. So, you know, I think they're a first-rate studio. Uh, I think they are great artists. They are great level designers um they have a great franchise to work with i think world war 2 especially when you've got nazis marching in charlottesville um yeah. is actually kind of fun i think that people are going to get into it so i i think this thing's going to absolutely kill it but uh you know i've, I've been wrong before
0: we'll see uh, the other one i want to get your opinion on is anthem because bioware's in a bit of a weird spot where that last mass effect Didn't hit on all cylinders, you know, they're not making any DLC for it. Sales-wise, didn't hit the marks a lot of people were expecting. Anthem is still pretty far off, but that E3 demo was impressive. Uh, Anything similar to Destiny, I think, has a good shot, because people seem very hungry for Destiny-like games. Uh, Do you have any prediction for where that will be? Do you think the Bioware brand has eroded it all, or do you think the game looks good enough that that shouldn't matter? Um, You know, they got Casey Hudson back,
1: which I think is a big deal. Um, and he, he's really good. And, uh, you know, the, the, peop- the things I heard, you know, people were saying it's kind of destiny on steroids. Um, so, you know, I think they'll get it right. The question really is, are they going after the same audience as destiny, and is that audience limited to the size of the destiny audience? So are they going to split it up? Um, I, I think not. I think that they'll expand the audience. It'll probably hurt destiny a little bit. Um, it's coming out, you know, about a year after, we don't know the date, but about a year after Destiny. So, you know, so one would think that Destiny players, many of them will be ready to switch over and try something new. If it gets, you know, the, the high scores that we used to see from Bioware games, then yes, I think it has a, a good chance. But my, my bias is the thing will sell six to eight million units. As opposed to Destiny selling, you know, 12 to 14 million, um, so it'll be smaller. And I say that only because it's it's unknown, it's new IP. Bioware's had troubles in the last couple of you know years, and it's coming out after Destiny, so it's you know it's going to be hard to crack that that base. It really might just blow us away and be great and and perform extraordinarily well, but you will know, have to see the game first.
0: Do you think Bioware would rather have Destiny 2 be a massive hit so that it continues to prove that these types of games are what people want? Or do you think they might hope that Destiny 2 misses the mark early on, similar to Destiny 1, and they can swoop in and take the audience who's looking for that kind of game?
1: Yeah, you know, I I, I mean, the size of the audience, the addressable market is so hard to gauge because, you know, Grand Theft Auto came out, what, four times, I guess? You know, GTA 3, San Andreas, or Vice City, San Andreas... And GTA four and each time sold about thirty thirty five million units and so that you know we were convinced that was the size of the audience for that game and then GTA five has sold eighty million units oh so it's God. like it's like if there's eighty million people and I, I get that some people bought it twice so sixty million people who play GTA you know uniques then honestly it's entirely possible that the market for for an anthem slash Destiny-type game could be 2x what Destiny 2 is going to sell. I mean, it really could be 25 million people. Um, You know, and and although it's not even remotely the same game, Overwatch's success has surprised me. I mean, it's just that, you know, because that game is multiplayer. It's it's multiplayer, it's hard, it's fast. I never thought there'd be that many people who like that kind of game. Um, Anthem looks a lot more... Uh, what's the right word, ordered, structured to me. Um, so I, I actually think the market might be huge. The market might be, you know, everybody who likes RPG, everybody who likes shooter, everybody who likes action. I mean, there's there's a lot out there. So it really could be a GTA-like audience for that genre. And again, we'll see if there's other competitors. And you know, if, if the market is 80 million, there'll be more competition. Everybody will come up with one.
0: Yeah. Overwatch still surprises me. That's a game that I didn't even think I liked that type of shooter and I am absolutely obsessed with it. Is there actually a, a hard number on the number of millions it's sold at this point?
1: Well they sold about um they sold about twelve or thirteen million real units last year, and my guess is another two or three this year. So they're they're at fifteen, I guess. I mean give or take. There are more players because because of, you know, the the availability in Asia. Yeah. They probably sold 15 million.
0: What a great way to, after that failure of Titan, to come back with, and we made this from it. Like, it's it's crazy how that works. Blizzard can well, almost did do you, no wrong. Did
1: you see this week uh, they added Deathmatch, which yeah. is it's one of the new. things, yeah, one of the things I think, and I haven't tried it, but it's one of the things I think that was missing in esports because if you want to play Overwatch esports, it, you know, playing it's one thing, but watching it is really hard, you yeah. know, if characters respawn. But watching deathmatch is actually pretty fun. You know, so, so the reason I think Counter Strike Go is so interesting and PUBG is interesting to watch is because characters get killed and they're gone. And you can see the map shrinking. You can see the people, you know, dropping. And, it, and when it gets down to two on one, you follow the one. He's either going to kill the other two or he's going to get killed. And it's, I mean, it's really fun.
0: Yeah, uh, you sh- you should try it if you have a chance. It, I was playing it all yesterday. It's uh it's well done. They didn't just randomly throw a deathmatch in there. Well, do um, you play it with all
1: sh- all shooters or I mean, how do you, what's the what's the team? Is it all the same character?
0: So you pick your character out of the entire list, which is strange because you think, why would I ever want to be a healer? But I saw someone using like bizarre strategies all over the place. You get surprised by here's a tank you didn't expect to work well, but it's working. So it's it's very free for all because it's still arcade. It's still kind of you know being worked on, but it's whatever character you want
1: yeah because when i you know the few times i've played that game i was reinhardt you know i was I, I had to be a tank because my my reflexes are so freaking bad that i had i have to move <laughs> super slow yeah but i do like the idea that you know you can laugh you can take a lot of hits and yep. so i mean so i think if i were playing deathmatch i'd love to play deathmatch mode with all tanks how fun would that be
0: Oh that'd be great. Yeah, just giant slow people who barely ever die. Uh then I think strategy would really matter for me and I could I could do well. <laughs> uh last thing and again I really appreciate the time. Uh last time we had talked a bit about like What's the next stage for PlayStation? Do you do another half-step with a a Super Pro or some better name than that? Or do you go straight to PlayStation 5? Where are you currently at with that? Do you think we'll see a PlayStation 5 by 2019 or 2020? Or do you think we'll continue to see half-steps and the PS4 name will stay in rotation?
1: No, I I think that's about exactly when you see one, 2019 or 2020. And if I had to bet, I'd say 2020. Um, Sony's making so much money on PS4 that... You know, I think that they'll continue to to make it as long as they can milk it, and I, you know, I think that the the natural extension of that is the PS4 Pro just becomes the default PS4, and they just you know knock that price down to 250 when they can, um, and they keep selling a, a ton of those. The PS5 is probably going to be their their real 4K device, and so it just feels to me like you know they're not going to launch. The PS5 until sales momentum for the PS4 slows and it just hasn't yet. So you know, certainly you get through 2017 and 2018. I just don't see it slowing in 2018, which would prompt them to launch something in 19. If it slows in 19, they probably launch in 20. So we got a ways. You you can uh, you can very safely uh, trade in your Xbox One and buy an Xbox One X and start saving ten dollars a month. You'll have some time before you need to trade it in for a PS5.
0: Is this really going to throw the the launch windows for these different consoles off? Like, are you going to see maybe a PS5 in 2020, but then because Xbox One X just comes out in 2017, we don't see the next Xbox until 2022? Because it's always seemed like it's either the same year or a few months off. But do you think this might actually really throw that entire cycle off, so they're releasing years apart?
1: You know, I think Microsoft is going to do something innovative with the next Xbox, with the, the next numbered one, you know, not the not X, but, but the Xbox 2 or Xbox 720. I think they're going to probably try to be more of a cloud uh, service. So the, the box itself probably will, you know, will play games. But, you know, I think that Microsoft, this whole Windows 10, Xbox Anywhere uh, initiative, Ultimately, you just don't need a console. What you need is a graphics card and a CPU someplace in your home. And it could be in your Surface tablet, and it could be built into your television. Um, and I think Microsoft is probably going to try to capture that market, uh, maybe through Windows 10. But I think that their next device might surprise you. It might look more like an Apple TV box or a Fire TV. And they'll call it an Xbox because it will have all that power but you know it's it's going to be more of the power you know in the cloud
0: yeah maybe a lot of the the ambitions for the early xbox one will actually come to fruition in the next one by 2021 or 2022
1: really the about the right time i mean it, it totally makes sense that you know there's no reason like look what happened yesterday with Alexa and Cortana. So Microsoft and Amazon partnered on making their voice-enabled software work together. Um, Ask yourself why. I mean, like, why can't we say, Alexa, let's play Halo on my TV? And it just starts happening. You know, why can't we do that? There's really no reason. And so I know that Amazon is going after this market. I think they're going to build a box that they may call a Fire TV, but... It'll probably be called a Fire game device, um, but it'll probably look it, – it might actually be a Trojan horse. It might be in an, in an Echo. All you need in that box is a CPU-GPU that's as fast or faster than an Xbox One X. And, you know, over the next three or four years, that'll cost 100 bucks, and And some memory somewhere in your home. That CPU-GPU doesn't have to have the memory attached to it. The memory could be on your PC. I mean, think about—you probably don't use it—but Sonos, the music system. When I listen to Sonos, I'm mixing songs that I have on my PC that I own with songs I'm getting from the cloud, and my Sonos device just knows where they are and plays them from whatever source. So why can't my game console work that way? It will. So I actually think that that's where Microsoft's headed. What they want to own is the customer, which means you know, because it gives them the ability to charge five bucks a month for xbox live and it gives them the ability to charge for game downloads and so i think that they want to continue to own that but i don't think that they're particularly interested in the hardware as opposed to you know the the online service they're much more of a service company and a software company than they are a hardware company so they'll figure it out
0: yeah i think you're right you invest in the cloud you invest in the customer you worry less about the box that's by the tv at that point it's it's connected in different ways with different devices uh Michael, where can people find you on Twitter? And I know I think Sifted just went on Patreon. So where can people find and support the Pactor Factor?
1: Oh well, thank you. Um, well, Sifted is you know Sifted is a site that I have Pactor Factor on. Um, I don't get paid by them, but but uh, it's run by Shane Satterfield, who is a good friend, and I would love him to succeed. And he's not making a living right now, so he is launching on Patreon this weekend. So on Saturday, uh, September second. Um, and they can, uh, j- they will be an easy search. Sifted is S I F T D, no, no E in there. Um, and they can support, uh, he's, I don't exactly know what the pricing is going to be, but it's going to be low, as in a dollar or two a month to watch the Pactor Factor. So it's going to literally cost you 25 cents an episode. Um, I am on Twitter at Michael Pactor. And, uh, if you don't want to follow me, because I can be annoying at, at, at a minimum, if you, listen to this podcast, a shout out to your followers would be, would be appreciated. Um, I would love to at least have people know that I'm out there. It's funny because, you know, I have followers on Twitter that ask me literally every week, why don't you do a show like the old Pack Attack? And I'm like, wow, I just did, you know, issue or episode 75 just launched. We do them <laughs> weekly. So it's been a year and a half. And there's people who follow me on Twitter and have missed 75 tweets by me saying hey my newest episode is out so thank you for that um, and I always appreciate the follow happy to talk to you anytime
0: absolutely I really do appreciate it these are some of my favorite podcasts to do like I said I watch all your stuff all the time and learn a lot from it so hopefully we can do this again next year maybe uh, pre or post E3 once all the other crazy shit happens yeah let's do a pre E3 show that'll be fun alright perfect well thanks again and thanks everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099